0: Well hey church, glad you're here tonight. I'm excited to get to share the word with our church tonight and what God has led me to share is gonna cover a lot of passages in his word and also span quite a few years of my own personal story. So I hope you're ready, get your Bibles out. And this message is gonna be titled Higher Level Math. So how many of you love math? Put your hand in the air. I figured it would kind of be a mixed response, I figured that, because some of you really don't like math. Anybody out there really not liking math? I see some hands now too. And yeah, two hands, okay, great, yeah. You know what, for me personally, I would probably have answered that with one hand down and one hand up, kind of mixed because if you know me at all, you've probably heard me say at some point, I hate math, my brain doesn't think in that way. But at the same time, a part of me would definitely shoot my hand in the air. And I want to tell you why. And to do that, I'm going to go all the way back to when I was in the fourth grade, which was a long time ago. So... Here I am in the fourth grade, and can we just say that I win the award for the most awkward ever, like when I was little. I mean, that's just wrong. It is, but it is reality. That is my fourth grade picture. So here's the thing. We had moved, and I know, just keep laughing. We had moved, and I had gone to a new school. And when I got there, after a couple of weeks, they discovered that I was like this high level math thinker. And so they met with my parents and they said, we're going to move her up into fifth grade math. So every day during, um, during math class, they would escort me down to one of the fifth grade classrooms because I was this high level math thinker. They were calling me up to a higher level. Now, fast forward just a few years from there, and I find myself in the eighth grade, and this really isn't much better. I definitely fit in the big hair era and learned how to use hairspray during that time. Anybody remember Aquanet out there? Yeah, good stuff. It would hold it just right and get those wings going and all of that. But here's the thing. My eighth grade year, I discovered I didn't really like math so much. In fact, I decided I hated math. And here's what happened. I was in this math class, and you know, when you're in middle school, you start getting distracted by everything that's been awakened to your flesh. And so you're distracted a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I probably decided I didn't like math, because I just had other things going on that were too important. But also during that year, I didn't have a good math teacher. She was really flighty, and she was disorganized. And, you know, um, in reality, she was having a romantic fling with the high school or our school principal. And so it was just kind of a, but she did marry him eventually. But it was just a crazy time because she was major distracted. She was like a middle schooler during that time. But I can remember at the end of that school year telling my parents, I hate math. And by the end of my high school career, I had barely graduated with the amount of math requirements that I needed. And I was so grateful that my chosen college plan included no math at all. So, yeah, great, right, because I was a creative brain thinker, and I thought I hate math. So fast forward even some more years to about the time that I'm 35, and I find myself in the middle of an interview to teach middle school, of all things, and I told the principal, I will teach anything for you but math, and I meant it. I would do anything, but I didn't want the job if I had to teach math. Now, I told you this message is going to span a lot of years, and it already has, but fast forward one more time to about the season of about the last five years, and it seems like in a lot of ways I've kind of come full circle to a redemptive place, because I've found myself being called up again, like I was in the fourth grade. Now, not in terms of like high-level math calculations, but in terms of a higher kind of math. See, in this season of about the last five years, God started calling me up. He saw that I was ready to take on a different kind of thinking, a different kind of math. And here's what happened: I would be in His Word, just studying, reading, you know, meditating on different scriptures, and all of a sudden, I'd hear the Holy Spirit like speaking to me in like math terms. And I would be like, God, you know me. You know I hate math. Can you say it some other way? But he wouldn't, he would just press on like he does. You know, He's gonna speak the way he wants to speak. And he was teaching me one math lesson after another right out of his word. This like divine way of counting and valuing and assessing and adding things up that really makes no sense in the world but totally computes in the mind of God. And here's the thing, he wanted it to compute in mine. See, God began to open up my eyes to the math of heaven. And as I would be in his word, I continually found him, like, calling me up to a different kind of thinking. And I began to find delight and interest and understanding in these math lessons that I was finding in scripture. Crazy for the girl who has declared and, like, dug her feet in the ground saying, I hate math. Over time, God has really transformed my thinking. And how many of us know we all need that, right? We all need our thinking to be transformed. In fact, in Romans 12, verse 2, which is going to be like a backdrop verse for us tonight, if you want to look that up or we've got it here on the screen, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what that means, church, is that our minds have to be made over. Because on our own, we don't think like God thinks. We allow the world to be our teacher. And so God wants to make our minds over so that we will begin to count and value things and see things the way that he does. Now I'll tell you that whole idea of like real math, like computing numbers and all that kind of stuff, it's still not really my thing. But the math of heaven has really become something that God has called me up to walk in. And and I think he just laughs a little bit as he does because, you know, it's just like God to redeem something even like that because anything that we will give him access to, he will redeem it for his purposes, won't he? And you know, I just had to laugh too when Pastor Fred asked me, to preach tonight because my first response always is to just go to the Holy Spirit and ask him, is that something you want me to do? And if so, what do you want me to share? What passage do you want me to share from? And the Holy Spirit just really impressed upon my heart, it's time to teach math. So don't ever say never, right? Don't ever say never because you'll never know what the Lord will have you doing. So tonight, that's what we're gonna do. You've come to math class, okay? So whether you love it or hate it, we're having math class tonight and God is gonna teach us some lessons from his word, some math lessons, certainly not all of them by any means, but definitely some ones that I think he wants to renew our mind with. So let's just pray and make sure that our hearts are open to him as we get started on this math class. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you that you are continually creative Lord, you are the God who created numbers. You know how to do the highest level of math equations, but spiritual math is your heart as well, God. And I know you have some things that you wanna renew in our hearts and our minds tonight for every person that's here. When we come into your presence, we are here by divine appointment. And so God, I pray that our hearts will be open whether we love math or hate it, that you will do a work in our hearts tonight, that you will renew our minds, God. You will surprise us with the joy of heavenly math. In Jesus' name. Amen. So are you ready for lesson number one, okay? Lesson number one. Our nothing plus God's life equals abundance. So if you want to turn with me, I'm old school, I use an old school Bible, okay? But get your phone out, whatever, to John chapter 10, verse 10. And we're gonna start with this math lesson because it's very foundational. If you don't get this math lesson, it's going to be really hard to understand any of the other ones. John 10.10 might be familiar to many of us. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples during one of many conversations when he was revealing his identity to them. And in this specific one, not only was he revealing his identity, but he was contrasting it with the identity and the character of the enemy. So he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that statement from Jesus really reveals the heart of God and the foundation of how he sees us when he came on mission for us, and his own heart toward us in giving us and restoring to us the abundance that he created us for in the first place. God looks at us and he is well aware that the enemy has stolen everything we have. He has killed our spirits, he will kill our bodies one day, and while we're here on this earth, he is out to destroy by death our very souls and he wants to destroy therefore the good life that God created us for. Ever since God saw him do that to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he's seen him do it over and over and over again. So God looks at us and he sees what the enemy has done to us, that we have nothing. Just like the, the um, serpent lied to Adam and Eve, he lies to us. And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we haven't even realized it this way before, But we have been left with nothing. Satan has worked his purposes of stealing, killing, and destroying in every one of our lives. And God has seen every chapter, every detail of our story, and he knows that we are broke, that we are dead, that we are destroyed. We literally have nothing of eternal worth and value. Now that sounds horrible, right? But that is the truth of God's word. But here's the good news of it, that Jesus came into this world with a message. Let's add my life to your nothing and I will make it add up to abundance. I will make it add up to abundance. And we have got to allow our minds to be renewed to think that way. Because here's the thing, the world thinks completely opposite and religion does as well. And too often, we let the world and religion, the legalism of religion, try to teach us. And so we begin to think that way instead of by the math of heaven. Now, we might not think that we think that way. I mean, we'll come to church and we'll sing about God being good and he's got the abundant life and all that. But when we really get down to it, a lot of times we're not really convinced about our nothingness. And we're not really convinced about how to arrive at abundance, we don't really get it, church, that we are dead in our sins, that we absolutely have nothing, that the enemy has worked his wreckage into our lives. And so what ends up happening is, We want that life of abundance. Everybody wants the good life, right? Whether they're in church or not, everybody wants a good life. So you know what the world says we have to do to get that? We have to strive. Now, the world will recognize that we've got struggles and problems, but it'll just say, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work really hard. And if you can just add this relationship to your life, or add this car, or this career, or this house, or this whatever, you fill in the blank, then you're gonna have the life that you've always dreamed of. Just work really, really hard. That's what the world will tell you. And religion will tell you this. You better measure up. You better clean your life up, and then present it to God in hope that he sees that you're enough, and then maybe, just maybe, he'll bless you with a little bit of his abundance. But here's the thing church, the word tells us different. This statement from Jesus is very different from that. The message of all of scripture continually paints different metaphors of the fact that we have nothing. And it tells us to bring our nothing to Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we were created with no value, no worth at all. No, it's exactly the opposite. Jesus created us with holy worth and value, he just knows the work of the enemy and what the enemy has done in our lives. And so Jesus came to restore, his mission was to restore our abundance. It's such a different way of arriving at the answer of abundance that we all long for. It's agreeing with God that we were created with life We were created with riches, we were created with value and destiny, but the enemy stole it from us. Killed what we had and wrecked all of it, destroying it. And we have to go to Jesus to get it restored. It's so different than striving or measuring up. Maybe you remember, like me, if you struggled in math, (laughs) that you would do a math problem sometimes and you would arrive at the right answer. But then your teacher marked it wrong. Because she said, you didn't do it in the right way. Did anybody ever have that happen to you before? It used to frustrate me so much because I'd say, what does it matter if if I didn't do it the right way? I still got the right answer, and there'd still be a big old red X on my problem. And she'd say, it matters a lot. Because foundationally, you don't understand the steps that you need to go through to get there, so you're never going to be able to move forward. And in the same way, church, there are many people that you can look around at in this world who are living the good life. And they will appear to you like they're living in abundance. And there are also times that maybe, you know, life's just going good for us, and we're feeling good with God, you know, we're we're just kind of tracking really well, and we can begin to puff ourselves up with a little bit of pride, maybe even not meaning to, and we'll think we've kind of arrived but we have to have a renewed mind to always know the foundation of our relationship with God. And any opportunity that we have to get the abundant life has to start with us understanding our position before him. That we come with nothing. If you grew up in church like me singing hymns, and I know most of you are not as old as me, but we used to sing this song all the time, Just As I Am, Without One Plea. That's the old school way of saying, God, I have absolutely nothing. But see, when I bring my nothing to Jesus and he adds it to his life, somehow in his creative abundance of grace and mercy and just power and creativity, he turns it into abundance. The other night I was doing an event in the ministry that I work with and this lady that I'm just close with and and she was hosting and, and we were talking and I was sharing some things with her and she looked at me and she said, Sharon, she said, you have a really rich life. And I said, You know, I really do. And I was almost brought to tears by that because I realized, you know, God has so creatively, not the way I would have done it, but so creatively worked abundance in me. And I'm so grateful. He does that when we bring Him our nothing, it's the only way to get to that abundance. It's the right way, you have to do the math in the right way to realize that our nothing plus his life is what equals abundance. So that's our foundational math lesson, but we're gonna go on to number two and we're gonna call this one multiplication power. How many of you remember doing multiplication tables, like memorizing them, yeah, and and maybe if you don't, maybe if you're a parent you remember like creating the flashcards and going over them again and again and again, like just hoping your third or fourth grader is gonna get those things in their head. And the reason you have to do it again and again and again is because multiplication tables take a lot of repetition to really learn them. It takes a lot of time. Now maybe you're familiar with these terms, maybe not, but in a multiplication problem, you have three things. You have the multiplicand, you have the multiplier, and you have the product, that's the, the answer. Well, the power of that problem really lies in the power of the multiplier. For instance, two times three equals six. Two is your multiplicand, three is your multiplier, and then your product is six, which really is just a little number. But what about this? What if we change just one of those numbers? Two is still your multiplicand, but now our multiplier becomes three million. Then what do we get? We get six million. I mean, that's a huge difference, right? Because the power lies in the multiplier. And church, our minds need to be renewed with the fact that Jesus doesn't just have like three million um, meters of power within him. He has infinite power as our multiplier. I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Matthew 14, Matthew 14, and we're going to read something that's probably familiar to a lot of us, but still so good to read because we'll see things, I think, that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us tonight in math. So starting with verse 14, it says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him, saying, the place it's desolate, and the time is already past. So send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have here five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave it to all the multitudes. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate aside from women and children." Now we're probably all familiar with that account. In fact, Jesus did this miracle more than once. But there is a great math lesson right here about his multiplication power. And here's what it is. We are never needy and without resource. But we often think that we are. How often do we say things like, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough emotional strength for this. And the reality is, you probably don't. (laughs) You're probably right. But we need to remember that God in his infinite power absolutely does. And he can multiply whatever little we have by his much. We just have to know that he is our multiplier and not look to other things to be our multiplier. The disciples only had a little bit. They had five loaves and two fish. In reality, it didn't even belong to them anyway. They took it from a little boy, right? But when Jesus was the multiplier, what happened? The product of this problem became more than enough. They had 12 baskets left over and everybody ate and was satisfied, right? See, when Jesus is in the midst like we were singing tonight with you, I'm satisfied. He has more than enough. But what was going on in the disciples' minds? What did they say here, right in the text? They said, this place is desolate. There's nothing here. The time's already passed. And Jesus was standing right in front of them. (laughs) This place is desolate. Their minds were not renewed. They hadn't begun to think in heavenly terms. Jesus is the great multiplier. And so often, church, that's how we think, and that's how we act. We are never without the presence of Christ. He is right in our midst at all times. And so if we don't practice the presence of God, we will be heard saying things like, I don't have enough. Because our minds haven't been renewed to realize the great multiplier is right there in our midst. So often what we do is we look to other things, and we make a plan just like they did. They came to Jesus, okay, here's our plan, now you tell them to do it. And we do the same thing. We come up with a plan. Now let's ask Jesus to bless it. But what did Jesus say to them? He said, bring what you have to me. Bring it to me. And church, we need to start operating with that kind of renewed thinking. Jesus can turn whatever you have that's little into more than enough. Not just what you need, but more than enough. I have seen him do it again and again, and over the last five years I'm starting to learn to ask him for anything that I need, to be aware that I'm never desolate, I'm never without his presence within me. That's part of heaven now, is having his presence here within us, and we have to practice this multiplication table over and over and over again because we don't get it. We look around at our situation and we continually get the answer wrong because we're not thinking with a renewed mind, with heavenly math. that Jesus. Jesus is the multiplier, infinite power. We just bring the little that we have to him. We're honest about it. Jesus, I don't have enough. He sees it anyway, right? And we bring it to him and we watch him do his work. Amazing, amazing stuff. All right, that's math lesson number two. We're gonna have another one. Lesson number three, here it is. The heart is greater than. The heart is greater than. We see this math principle lots of times in scripture, but I think one of the best representations of it is in Luke chapter 21. So if you want to flip on over there, we're going to read the first four verses. It says, And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, For they, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. What is the math lesson here? The heart is greater than. And we can fill in the blank with anything. You remember that whole math lesson from elementary school, right? Those little symbols that probably got mixed up in your head. Greater than, less than. We need to see that God... When he looks at our lives, he is always going to assess and count and value our heart as being greater than. Now, let's define heart before we go on. By heart, what we mean is the center of our being. I know years ago, as I was really becoming more and more a student of God's word, I became aware of how often the Lord, um, in his word, uses words like spirit, soul, body, and heart. And I had studied enough to know that those words had different implications and and definitions, but I also found that within Christian circles, people use them like synonyms. And I realized, I think by the Holy Spirit, I know by the Holy Spirit leading me, that there needed to be clarity in my heart and mind to really understand the depth of Scripture of what those words are. And that's a whole message for another day, but let me at least just summarize it like this so that we can understand this math lesson here. Our spirit is the place where God dwells within us. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's like the seat of your personality. We all are different in that way. We all have a different way we think, we have a different way we feel, we have a different will within us. Our body is exactly that, right? It's our physical being. There's three parts of us, right? We're, we're made in God's image. He's three, he's one. That's always a little confusing. There's a whole another math lesson in that, right? But there's those three parts of us, and then there's the heart. And the heart is the center of all of those things. It's what connects all of those things together. It's the very core of our soul, our spirit, um, our spirit, uh, very core of our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. Very important to understand that. You know, you think about it, even our physical body is a picture of that. Because in your physical body, really the heart is the greatest organ. Now, the brain's important, other organs are important, but without the heart pumping the life of the blood into your body, nothing else is going to work, right? It's the heart that fuels and directs. It's that central most part of who we are. And you know, the Bible says this, right in Proverbs four twenty three. it says, Out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life. Meaning what happens in your heart spiritually, not only physically, but spiritually, will direct and fuel and power your life. So God is always gonna consider the condition of our heart to be greater than anything else. In this case, for the poor widow, greater than the sum of money that she was able to give. What did Jesus say? He said, truly I say to you, This poor widow put in more than, greater than all of them. Now, how could that be? What she put in was really worth less than a penny, and they were putting in these great sums of money. Well, it could be because her heart was richer toward God, more full of worship, more full of faith. She was a poor woman, but her heart was rich toward God, so much so that she was willing to give up everything she had. They were rich people, but Jesus could see into their hearts that their hearts were small and impoverished with pride and legalism and worldly focus. Now, this account in Scripture, it's about so much more than money. What it does is it gives us a window into the heart of God to see how does he think and value us when he looks at at what he sees us doing, right? See, what goes on in here will always be greater to God we don't always think that way we just think if I show up like Chris mentioned earlier and check my box of being at church well God sees that right and then we think we can hide our hearts but God sees our hearts and the heart is always going to be greater than and we've got to renew our minds allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds to think like that the Bible says this in Proverbs 21 it says all the way a man's ways seem right to him but the Lord weighs the heart and that is definitely a math lesson that is applicable to every moment of our lives it causes us to be aware we can never hide from god he sees everything that's going on in the innermost part of who we are we cannot hide from him in hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 it says there is nothing hidden from his sight all things are open and laid bare before him now That can be a really sobering and sad thought, and it can cause us to despair because if you're anything like me, the stuff that sometimes goes on in your heart is quite scary and quite ugly, and you can realize, man, my heart is so small compared to what God is wanting to be in my heart. But what does the Bible also say in Psalm 27, 13, a verse that is so precious to me personally, but the City Life Church really holds very special as well. It says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the reality is, If we are honest and we look at this word and we realize God can really see our hearts and we're honest about the condition of our hearts, that could cause us to really despair except for we believe in the goodness of God, which takes us right into math lesson number four, which is God is greater than our hearts. First John chapter three is an amazing chapter of scripture. We're not gonna dig into all of it tonight. It's all about the relationship of God as father to us as his children and there's so many rich truths within this chapter but tucked within that chapter is an amazing math lesson that we find in verse 20 and I wanna read it for you. It says, and whatever our heart condemns us for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. I'll never forget the first time that someone shared this with me and the Holy Spirit really illumined it to me. I'm sure I had read it before. But in that season, I was in a real place of despair. I was dealing with a very serious situation and I really had come to see what a hot mess I was and that I wasn't handling it very well. And I knew, I was very aware that my heart was impoverished and I knew that it needed to be fixed, but I just couldn't figure out how to get there, how to do that part. And I was sharing my frustration with a friend and a mentor, and she opened up her Bible to 1 John chapter 3, and she read this with me. And she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, God is greater than your heart. And when she said that, it's like that worship song that we sang earlier tonight. It was like the grace of God, just like, like a wave, just came over me. See, I had already come to know math lesson number three, that, that my heart is greater than, that God sees my heart. And I knew that even though I was out there doing ministry and I was writing Bible studies and doing all kinds of stuff in the community, that God saw my heart in this situation. And he saw how small it was and he saw how I was struggling and and how I was trying to purify my heart, but I really couldn't figure out how to do that. And what I realized in that moment by the Holy Spirit ministering to me this word, and He's so good to do that, to make this word come alive to us, is that God is greater than my heart. In those seasons when I can't seem to figure out myself how to do that, that God can renew and change and make my heart bigger. I love what the writer of Psalm 119 said, all of it really, but one of the things he says in verse 32 he says, I will run the way of your commands, for you will enlarge my heart. And what the writer is saying by that is, God, I'm gonna do my part. I'm gonna run toward what you say, but God, I know if you're gonna change this heart, it's gonna have to be you, because I can't do it. You're greater than my heart. We just have to bring our heart to him. We just have to run toward his commands, and we can trust that he will make our hearts bigger. And over the years, church, I have put this math truth to to test again and again. And I have seen God do that. I, I bring it to him. There are so many times when I'm honest with myself and I lay my heart alongside this word and I realize it comes up lacking. It is too small to contain the big things that God wants to do in and through me. But I bring it to God, and I bring him my best effort of running toward his word, and then I watch as in his greatness, he changes my heart. And he makes my heart bigger. And you know what? That is all of these math lessons working together. My nothing Plus, his life equals abundance. If I bring the little bit that I have to him, he can greatly multiply it and do something amazing with it. He is greater than our hearts. So there's no reason to ever despair when our minds are renewed in these ways. If we can begin to see that these math lessons are useful in everyday life. Now, we're not done yet. There's more. The next one is a high, high level of math number five death equals life death equals life I don't know if you remember like me maybe it's a bad memory when you first started taking like pre-algebra and algebra and the teacher would start off by writing you know x equals y or y equals x I don't even remember which one it was but I would sit there like what 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 is X and what is Y? I wanted somebody to define it for me and some math brain next to me would be like, it's X and it's Y. And I'd be like, yeah, but what is it?" I was totally confused. And you know what? I think a lot of times we, we throw these words around from, from the word and, and in our songs and things like that, but we don't even understand what they mean. I know in my own life, I didn't understand biblical truth about death and life. I did not understand that death actually equaled life. But oh to have my mind renewed by the word of God. See, the world will tell you do everything you can to keep death of any kind out of your life. But let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, an amazing chapter of scripture. I love this chapter of scripture. There's a very high-level math lesson in it. It's it's not easy to understand. Not easy to grasp. I believe it has to be taught to us by the Holy Spirit. And even as I'm sharing it tonight, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to open up our minds to it. And you know what? This math lesson needs a lot of practice. A lot of practice to ever even figure it out and get it right. But it is so representative of the gospel in our lives. In this chapter, Paul is describing what it's like to be in ministry out there. And he's talking in terms of we because he had some comrades that worked with him in ministry. And we're just gonna talk through a few of these verses and I'll just expound on them as we read through them, starting in verse six. Paul says, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's saying the Holy Spirit taught us what I'm about to tell you. He's saying there is no other way I could have understood this except for the Holy Spirit was my teacher. And that is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. He's saying the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that's illuminating in us, it's this treasure that we have within us. And he goes on to say we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He's saying we're purposefully picking up things that are hard, that are death. We're doing that because we know that when we do that for the sake of Christ, life is gonna be resurrected in us. In verse 11 he says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He had come to know that any time he takes up his cross to follow Christ, even if it means things like he says up here, being afflicted, being perplexed, being persecuted, being forsaken, all of it's going to bring forth life. And he was experiencing that. That makes no sense to the world. The world says, fight for your rights. Do it for yourself, right? Totally renewed mind when we realize God says, give up your life. Jesus tells us to take up our cross. In other words, participate in his sufferings, but have the faith, that high level thinking to believe that life is going to come from that. When you see no life in sight, to know that God works resurrection things in our lives. In fact, he goes on to say, so death works in us, but life in you. And there's beauty there because here's what happens, church. When we practice this, this math here, when we live it out, not only do we experience resurrection things, but the people around us do as well. And he says in verse 13, having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. He's saying, I believe this. I believe this with all that I am. So I'm not only saying it, I'm living it. Because he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Death equals life. Not afraid. Not afraid to carry about the dying of Jesus, doing it on purpose. When the rest of the world is running from any kind of sacrifice, any kind of hard, and only wanting comfort in their lives, we as the church rise up to this high level and say no, we know that if we give up our lives, we will get them back. We will get them back in greater measure. This is high level math. Death equals life if you are willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Years ago, I learned a song and it went like this. I'm not gonna sing it, I'm just gonna say it. (laughs) It is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. That is high level math, church. Not easy to understand, it's not easy to live, but it's so full of life when we do and you just will wonder and marvel at how Jesus works that out as much as the disciples wondered and marveled when they saw the resurrected Christ right in front of their eyes when they touched his hands and felt the thing and you see God bring dead things to life in your life when you are willing to die to self to die to your will to die to your emotions to die to your flesh in any way when the Holy Spirit is asking you to do it and then you watch him Bring up life from that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's part of experiencing heaven on earth, that resurrection power, resurrection power, when we're willing to practice this and show up for this math lesson that's hard and let the Holy Spirit teach us and convince us. And that takes us to our very last math lesson for tonight. It's really elementary, but it's also very high level. In fact, I think it's the the highest of them all. And it's number six, it's count as loss. And you might know that phrase from Philippians chapter 3. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3 after writing a whole list of reasons that he could have to boast because he had some really cool things. Lots of accomplishments, lots of possessions, all kinds of credentials. And then he says this, though, about those things. In verse 7 he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ. You know, as little children... The very first math lesson we ever get is learning how to count. If you've got little ones at home, you're probably already teaching them one, two, three. And right, even when you go to like a, a, um, in middle school, you know, to your first foreign language class, what's the first thing you learn how to do? In Spanish, uno, dos, tres, right? That's all the Spanish I know. But you know, that's, that's what we learn when we're little kids. It's so elementary, just counting. It's the most elementary form of math. And yet spiritually, I think it's the most high level of math because when we read this from Paul we look at his life we look at what he has given up in the way he did ministry taking on the death of Jesus what it has to do if we meditate on that for any length of time is cause us to ask ourselves do I look at this world and count it as loss now that doesn't mean that we look at this life and all the things that are in our life we go oh you're just a bunch of trash no Every gift that we get in this life, the Bible says in James, it is poured out from the Holy Father as a heavenly gift to us just pouring out on his children. But it does mean that we learn how to count, and we learn how to put the highest number in the right place, and that would be Christ. That's a renewed mind. That if we're looking at all of it the Christ always goes above it he always is the highest one we put that crown on Jesus like we sang about earlier compared to knowing him the rest of this matters nothing to us now we can sing that we can say that but remember that math lesson God sees our heart so is that really true is that really where the affections, I have to ask myself when I meditate on these words from Paul in this way of counting, and I hear the Holy Spirit teaching me this math lesson and saying, Sharon, is that how you count? But here's the beautiful thing. When I understand that he sees my heart, and maybe I'm like, I still don't even know how to count, God. I don't know how to count. I can go back, what, to math lesson number four that says God is greater than my heart right and and i can just let him work that out in me all of these math lessons are applicable to everyday life he's calling us up into a new way of thinking a heavenly way of thinking that does not think like the world The only way we will live in the fullness of his goodness is when we begin to think with a renewed mind according to his word as our teacher and the Holy Spirit who is our greatest tutor through it. I want to invite the worship team to come on back up. I know that's a lot of math for one sitting, right? Especially if you're not a math lover. And so it probably seems like a, a bit much to some of us. But, you know, I can remember... When I was taking math classes and saying things like, I am never going to use this in real life. What does it even matter? But see, the thing, church, about these math lessons, you can use them every single day. And you really should be. Because God created us to live and to move and have our being rooted and grounded in his value system. According to the way he looks at things and counts things and, and all of that. We don't naturally think that way, not at all but God is calling us to a higher level, a renewed mind. I told you about when I was in the fourth grade and they called me up to a higher level. And church, I really believe, and I I believe God even showed me this week, this wasn't part of what I was originally planning to share, but I was meditating on it, and he reminded me of what has happened here in the last couple weeks. Two weeks ago, Abby Phillips at the end of our service, God gave her a word and she came up and Pastor Fred had her share it and she said, Church, God has something really special coming for us, but we're not ready for it yet. And so he wants to get us ready, he's calling us up. And then last week, what did Pastor Fred share? He shared about this this responsibility that God is getting ready to probably put it in our hands. Something a facility that he has been using in this region for many years and he's going to hand it to us and want us to steward it We can't do that if we think like the world thinks so we got to start to get our minds trained We can't sit back and say I hate math. We got to love math, right? We got to love the math of heaven when I was in the fourth grade they called me up to a higher level because they saw something in me that they knew I could handle it. I think God sees something in our church. He knows that he can trust us, but we've gotta step up. There were two things when I got into eighth grade that caused me to become a math hater. One, I was distracted. The other, I didn't have a good teacher. And those can be the very same dynamics that cause us to shrink back from the high calling of thinking like God thinks. We get distracted by the world and we let the world teach us instead of the word of God. Church, don't allow that to happen. We are being called to a high place. Talk about math that is useful in everyday life. You know, when a teacher is teaching math, A lot of times if they see a a student struggling, they will call that student to the board so that they can help the student as the student works it out and the rest of the class can learn and maybe the class can help them some. And we don't have a chalkboard up here by any means, but I just have to know that in these very applicable math lessons that every one of us in this room has been pierced by at least one of them and that we might be sitting out there in our seats, struggling and processing to think, how does that compute and work in my life, and do I understand that? And I would just know that right here in this moment, as we go into this worship time, that the Holy Spirit wants to call you forward and not let you waste this time, but use this time to come to the board, to come to the altar and work it out with him. And if you need extra help even, to go to some of these people who are standing here to pray for you on the sides, to to let them pray for you if you don't even know where to begin with that. There's resource here, the Holy Spirit himself and people that will work with him as they pray for you. So as we sing, I would invite you, if you're processing through some of these math things Feel the Holy Spirit saying, what about that one for you? What about that one for you that you would come up and let him work that out on you? And I believe you will be so glad that you did. Let's worship the church. Let's worship.